0: everyone and welcome to episode 104 of Morgan Webster's Wrestling Friends. As always, I'm the indisputed king of the mods, the podfather of professional wrestling, Flash Morgan Webster. And more importantly than that, for the next 45 minutes to the hour, to the hour and a half, however long this conversation goes with the wonderful Joe Bray this week, I will be your host, or as I see it, facilitator for these chats, discussions, gatherings, You know me. I absolutely love that word. Gatherings with your wrestling favourites. Or as I like to call them, my wrestling friends. Of course, this podcast does come to you free of charge every Wednesday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Podcast Spotify, Buzzsprout, Anchor, Podbean. If it's a good podcast outlet, I'm on there. Just search me, wrestling friends, and it should come up. Um, And again, thanks for anyone who has subscribed uh recently anyone who's dropped us a review i am putting a little contest out end of may uh, anyone who drops us a review on itunes uh gives a five star rating drop us a review on itunes and uh you know put your, your your email or put your twitter handle or whatever onto it and you'll be automatically entered into a draw to win some goodies now announce on the podcast in a couple of weeks who's won that but again not loads of people done it so far so again you've got a good chance to win Costs you absolutely nothing just give me a little review helps the algorithm and uh, pushes stuff up. So yeah please be sure to rate, subscribe, review. Um, Of course, if you are enjoying it, maybe you already have rate, subscribe, review, maybe you don't use iTunes, maybe you use something else, but you do want to continue to contribute and help push up my listenership, then the best way you could probably do that is to uh, tweet out and tell people you're listening. So yeah, I'm on Twitter, at Flash underscore Morgan. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Flash Morgan Webster. On Instagram, I love when people put me in the stories. I can share that out. And again, it's great to see the people listening and people who are enjoying it, what your thoughts and opinions are on the podcast. Again, my Instagram is at Flash Morgan Webster. Just hit 30,000 followers on this. That's pretty cool too. 28,000 on the old Twitter and the Facebook goes up and up every single day, so yeah, please keep doing that, of course, if you do want to send me uh, any discreet emails, or if you want to kind of, you know, give me some advice, because again, I'm, even though I've been doing this quite a while, it has got better of it, bet there are some people out there that are far better than me at the old podcasting, and they're giving me more advice every week, and getting better and better, the email is of course, flashmorganatlive.co.uk, so I appreciate anyone who's been doing that, yeah, readers. it is, so uh, this week, Joe Cabrae, and to be honest with you, I think I feel like I'm going to be saying this every single week. And I feel like I say it because these last couple of weeks, of the podcasts have been great. And I, if, I do, if I do say so myself, but this really is um, a wonderful conversation with Joe. I feel that his opinions on wrestling line up probably the closest to my opinions with wrestling out of nearly the hundred guests that I've had on you. And I think it's just, you know, the way that he approaches stuff, his vision for the he wants to change stuff, the way that he kind of, you know, he pushes creativity, he pushes positivity forward. And it's so great to see the wonderful stuff that he's doing with OTT and the great stuff that everyone who he is involved with, Joe, is doing as well. So it's a really nice podcast. We do kind of cover the entire spectrum of his time in wrestling. We look at him, you know, starting wrestling, uh, we talk about him, his time at WWE, about him uh, touring Europe and being a promoter in Europe. And we do talk about, of course, the rise of OTT. Um, it's jam-packed. It's full to the absolute brim with cool stuff. And I think that sums it up. All I'm going to say is I've been having a, a cool little week. Um, got some new gym stuff. Got a new programme. Sam Price over on Instagram sort of got a new programme. So hopefully it builds some cool muscle soon. And apart from that, I've been watching loads of World of Sport. So if you're looking for something different to watch, uh, maybe have a check out. Check out uh, Rollerball Rocco versus Marty Jones. They're doing some absolute crazy stuff in the set in the early eighties, late end of the seventies. Stuff that uh, would be difficult to uh, redo nowadays. They really were changing the game. Just definitely go check that out. Uh, I think that's about it. Apart from that, all I've got to say is uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy what is definitely one of my favourite podcasts with the one, the only Mr Joe Cabray. Enjoy, people. Yeah, we. I think you went. Uh, you did. I think we went into lockdown before you guys, or did we? But I think you guys put restrictions in place first.
1: Yeah, funny enough, we uh, we shut down on the Friday, and my big Scrapper Mania show was on the Saturday, so uh, everything got pulled.
0: Oh, so Lucky, really. You kind of put the measures in place that you actually did because if you left it so late, because I know a lot of people did leave it later and they got screwed over.
1: Yeah, like I think WXW, they uh, they got by by just having their event uh, a week early, but they went into lockdown as well the same time. Um, so they would have lost their uh, is it the carrot garret the big carrot show that they do the sixteen carrot? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, they would have having to cancel that, but they 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 were lucky enough to get in the week before.
0: That's that's crazy. How um, have you sorted anything out with the school now, like moving the ring and all that other stuff?
1: Yeah, I've everything in storage right now. So um I kinda it, it we're all kinda unknown unknown territory, so it's hard to kind of look at opening a new school if we can't even get back till say October, November. So uh but I've had a few people reach out and uh said that we could set up a ring there. So I'm pretty hopeful that as soon as we are safely able to return that the school will be ready and, and, and we'll be able to fire away as soon as this passes.
0: I know that like with uh, Dragon Pro for example they work out of the community center and they've been looking at getting a place for a while but they're lucky in the sense that once everything kind of started happening over there the community center shut down which wasn't really a big impact then on Dragon Pro but yeah I did think if we'd had our own place how how hard that would have been if uh, again like you guys the the renters were not willing to play ball
1: yeah I mean ours was very early on as well it was in a matter of weeks Uh, We reached out and offered to pay like over 50% and he just refused. Um, I don't know. It's just pretty shitty. It's not that this guy either is a a struggling landlord. He's, uh, He's actually quite wealthy as well, which kind of makes it even worse.
0: I guess that's how the wealthy, stay wealthy, mate, unfortunately.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> um, Joe, how I usually like to start these, mate, is um, what's your earliest memory of wrestling? When can you remember falling in love with wrestling? And that might be a two-part question. A lot of people, it is a two-part question. But yeah, earliest memory of wrestling or when can you remember falling in love with wrestling?
1: Yeah, uh, my er- earliest memory, I think, is uh, just flicking through the stations and seeing um, Andre the Giant and uh, Rick Rude on TV and kinda of just seen these larger than life kinda of real life superheroes, I suppose. They weren't cartoons, they were real people. And uh from that time I was hooked immediately. Did you uh
0: did you kind of like try to seek wrestling out then or was it like kind of a long time before you discovered wrestling within
1: uh well, it wouldn't be the UK it would it be within Ireland. Well, like I'm thirty seven now, so my 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 uh been a wrestling fan, I go go back uh, quite a long time. So as I said, my my first memories was like Andre Giant and Rick Rude. So I think I might have been about five or six. Um and yeah, I just remember then on Sky that WWE Challenge or WF Challenge no I think it was on at ten o'clock, ten o'clock at night time. And my uh my mom had let me stay up and watch at ten ten PM until eleven. And then I think they started doing a uh a Saturday morning show at twelve o'clock as well. So yeah, they're my they my memories of in terms of being a kid watching wrestling on uh, Sky TV.
0: Did you ever think it was achievable to become a wrestler yourself, or was it just one of those massive pipe dreams? Especially with you kind of being on that island.
1: Yeah, I just thought that wrestling was for Americans and it only happens in America, and it wasn't really feasible for someone even in Europe, not let alone Ireland. But like uh, to be a professional wrestler, um, yeah, I mean. W- I think the difference as well is that in the UK, you guys, I know like in England anyway, there's a rich, um, kind of a rich history of, of, of wrestling in, in, in that country. But, uh, in Ireland, it was, uh, pretty non-existent. We didn't have an independent scene. Um, we'd have like maybe a couple of shows that would come from UK promoters. Um, orig Williams, uh, would promote a few times a year here, but, um, that was really it. So we didn't have a wrestling scene. We didn't have schools here or no independent wrestling shows. So it's probably quite different, I suppose. I don't know. What, it, what was it like in, in uh, Wales?
0: Um. Well, again, Aurig is, Aurig's well, so Aurig would tour it. But I guess it was very much the same. We'd look at England and we'd look at FWA and we'd look at um you know, the Frontier of Honour shows that were going on. That was our real proper, our first exposure to it, really, I guess big ring of honor fan and then seeing those guys coming over and doing one PW and stuff like that. But again, the scene, the British scene in general, apart from those bits and pieces, we were probably still only, well, about five or six years ahead of you really after the scene died out after world of sports. So it, again, was pretty much non-existent.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: When do you think it changed for you then? When do you think it actually went, Oh, wait a second. This is something I could do.
1: Um, Well, there was a promoter here in Ireland, uh, Irish Whip Wrestling, and he tried to get the first kind of independence scene started off in Ireland. And he just had a lot of problems. So uh, I kind of started working with him. And the idea was to kind of set up a school. So we set up a school and I just kind of fell into training myself. Um, I didn't really have any aspirations to be a, a wrestler. I don't know if it was just more so, as we were talking about earlier, just the idea that it wouldn't be really possible and it's a waste of time. But um, I decided I was going to do a couple of classes and I think I fell more in love with wrestling when I started to get opportunities to travel Um you know, being able to see the world for free and do something cool and make some money um, was just really really something that kind of spurred me on to continue um, being a wrestler, I suppose.
0: Well, until then, you were just kind of you'd started going to these shows. What just to, just as a fan, just to help out. What was you? What was the aim if you didn't want to be a wrestler?
1: Um, yeah, I just wanted to be involved in wrestling. Uh, this wrestling promoter uh, was the promoter of Irish Whip. He'd only ran two shows, um, and they were both big money money losers because essentially, for him to run wrestling shows at the time, there was no independent and There was nothing here, so. He had to bring in a ring from the UK. He had to bring in referees, wrestlers, uh, all the travel, transport, hotels. Um, So it just wasn't financially uh, possible for him. So he'd only ran two shows. And then that's kind of when I got involved. Um, We kind of came to the idea that we needed to have a wrestling scene in Ireland to be able to promote shows. It just wasn't feasible to continue to fly every bit of talent in, all the referees, rings. We needed to create irish wrestlers so we could have an undercard and a midcard so that's basically what the idea was at the start
0: was he kind of like the same as you then just just a fan of the business
1: yeah just i think like i remember talking to david Starr about this i i don't know any independent wrestling promoters that are making massive massive money i think a lot of it is um a lot of it is just that they're they're guys that have a lot of passion for the business and uh, at the time, the guy who was setting up Irish whip wrestling, I think he had a great passion for wrestling, just like me, and he wanted to see something uh, in this in this country. I don't think any of us were under this illusion that we were going to uh, make a, a, a shitload of money. Um, we just had a passion of of expanding wrestling in this country of Ireland.
0: I think as well when you speak about that, I think it's a bit like I think every wrestler or anyone who gets who gets involved or gets kind of you know captured by wrestling i think they're creative deep down and again that you look at someone like mark andrews i'll use that as an example he's like creative physically like he can he can graphic design he can edit he can uh play instruments but i think when it comes down to a lot of people if they don't have those skills to do that then they have to be creative some other way and i think that's what draws some people in to promoting and stuff like that would you agree Uh,
1: absolutely i always say it as well like um You know, when you get to speak to the guys that are making money in the wrestling business, they're all incredibly intelligent people. And there's no one at the top of wrestling or even at the middle level of wrestling that's making money and is successful. And they're, you know, they're not the brightest spark. They're all incredibly intelligent people. Like, So I remember I've told this story before, but I remember being on a a car journey with a a big demo and um, Tommy and I. I. don't even know what the wrestler has in we at the moment. I, like I know, but I, I, I it slipped my mind. But I just remember that The the conversation for the entire uh three hour journey was about history and art and stuff like that. You know, so um, that's the one thing that I always kind of, you know, I, I always realize like as to how intelligent the, the 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 guys that are making money in wrestling, and I think it's something that. Um, you have to be. You have to understand as well that it that it is a wrestling. It's a business at the end of the day as well, and you have to be smart.
0: I think as well. Those there are of course exceptions where there's one or two people who who do make money who you could say aren't smart. But then when it comes, I think it comes down to a they don't stick around that long. Then after it kind of dries up, or there's some sort of freak athletes which ex, you know they go above anything you need to be creative. Then because the stuff they can do just kind of goes above and beyond what anyone normal can actually achieve.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's exceptions to every rule, but I mean, I think the vast majority of people, as I said, in wrestling, when you speak to them, they're incredibly intelligent people. And I suppose you have to be as well, because wrestling is about the core of wrestling as well, is about selling and is about uh, psychology. So these people, you know, these guys and girls kind of understand that, you know, so um that's the, the fun thing as well as I always, I always love being in cars with groups of wrestlers because the conversation can just always get just so wacky, I suppose.
0: Uh, how long were you training uh, before you actually started wrestling? Because, again, this is something that varies for every person. And I guess the scene was very different back then.
1: Uh, so, yeah, so the way it worked with me is that we we opened up the wrestling school in the centre of Dublin, which was, you know, the second wrestling school in, in Ireland. And there was one other school in the north. And basically what happened was, I think there was maybe like 20 people showed up to the open day and, um, we just started training and then we gave a date as to when our first show would be. So everyone who was training was kind of just training towards that date of the show and trying to get on it. Uh, I think I was probably training for like maybe, maybe seven months before, before I had my debut match. Um... I don't know if that's quite standard amongst the UK, but yeah, it's probably about about, about, about seven or eight months, I'd say.
0: I think it varies. Like, I've 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 had people come on here that said like Haskins would be the one who was training for nearly two years before he was allowed to go on a show, but I've had other people say that they were kind of thrown on within a month. So yeah, varies. especially
1: especially especially the girls, or if you're just you know a, a freak, you know it, it tends to happen as well where you know girls kind of get opportunities because it's you know most promoters want girls on the shows you know um and then i suppose if you're like a you know a a freak those guys as well tend to get more opportunities
0: yeah especially when i spoke to people before i think it's changing a little bit with with the girls because again i think sometimes some of them were getting opportunities before they were ready and that would be something then that would kind of be a detriment to them in the future because again they're being exposed before they're ready so it is good in a way that that's changing now that people are kind of being seen as wrestlers and not just as commodities.
1: Absolutely. It's a safety issue as well. I mean, you've probably seen it yourself, not just girls, but wrestlers in general where they, they shouldn't be in a ring and it's the promoters fault as well for having them in the ring when they're not ready. And someone could get hurt. And when someone does get hurt, um, you have a responsibility to the overall wrestling scene as well, because if someone gets hurt on, on an independent show, it's it's someone got hurt on an independent show and we all get kind of you know dragged in with this the same the same brush. So I think promoters as well have a responsibility to make sure that the talent on the show are um at a level that they should be, I suppose.
0: Was your uh what was your first gimmick when you started? Has it always been like Luther Ward and stuff like that?
1: No, um I kind of just like everybody, I suppose, kind of probably started wrestling in the pleaders and you know, just just a normal uh not so much of a gimmick, I suppose, but um as time went on um I yeah, I developed. I suppose my first besides wrestling as just myself, Joe bray um my first one would have been Omen, I suppose, which was just um just an idea. I kind of looked at the landscape and seen that everyone was kind of just being the you know, the kind of generic wrestler, I suppose, and there was was nobody really out there doing any kind of crazy style gimmick, so uh, I invested a lot in it, uh, took my time, made masks, uh, hand-stitched wigs, um, but it, the Omen gimmick was probably one of my most successful because it was kind of the gimmick where I got to travel the most places with, and um, I was kind of lucky as well that i always loved being in the gym it was a big part of my life as well so when i sent out promo pictures of myself as omen uh i got a lot of opportunities a lot of job. i think a lot of people thought that the gimmick would look good on a poster as well so um started out doing omen for a while and then when i went to WWE, that's when i created the uh the loot award uh, character which kind of stayed with me for until i kind of slowed down wrestling i suppose
0: how uh, how long were you wrestling before you got picked up by WWE?
1: So, uh, I was promoting shows for, for many years. I was promoting shows all over Europe. Uh, I promoted shows in France, Romania, Germany, Switzerland, Bulgaria. Um, and I was c- kind of bringing all these big shows around Europe with with all these top American wrestlers. And... The economy kind of took a nosedive around, uh, I think, from about 2008. So all these shows that I was doing around Europe uh, kind of fell through. Um, People were a bit more careful as to where they were spending money as well. So uh, a lot of the backing that I had for those shows kind of fell apart. So I kind of just sat around and was like, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to leave the wrestling business or am I going to try and stay in it? Um, And just looking at the economy... And me as a promoter, I didn't think that was probably viable. So I decided that I was going to, if I wanted to stay in the wrestling business, the only way I was going to stay in it is if I was uh, able to get to WWE. So um, my girlfriend at the time, uh, she'd done some modeling. We gave her a crash course in wrestling and she got signed. And then uh, I just, I kind of just looked at, as to what they wanted. Uh, I remember I was had a good relationship with Bret Hart uh, from doing previous tours with him. And I reached out and I said, what are they looking for? And uh, he went to Regal and asked Regal, like, you know, what is it at the moment? It changes all the time, but what is it at the moment that we are looking for? What would it take to, for you to sign a guy? And Regal said that a promo, a look and your movements in those orders were kind of like the, uh, the most important things. And they're the things that I just continue to work on. Um, I decided to focus my energy on what was truly needed. And at the time, I thought, you know, um, so yeah, I worked on my, my my promos was the number one thing. I worked on those a lot. And then I just worked on dieting and getting into shape. But I suppose uh, I'd never had really, again, I don't know if it was aspirations or if I just didn't believe it was possible, but I never really thought about doing until i was probably about maybe eight years into the wrestling business and um, that's when i decided look i'm just i didn't want to have any regrets either i didn't want to look back and think jesus could i have made some money at this wrestling could i have made it to the re so i put everything into it for about i'd say about eight months working out uh really hard sticking to a really strict diet um working on my promos and then just went to the trial and then got the news that they were going to give me a deal.
0: I love I love the way you just look and think about things Joe it just seems like you look at it and go okay what's not what's the clear path but you look at it a lot like a business which is really which is really good because a lot of wrestlers don't they don't look at where the gaps are in the market or they don't look at okay what are people looking for they kind of could be a bit stubborn with it but I love the fact that nearly in every walk of of this profession you've kind of looked at what the what the gaps are in the market how you get there and then kind of gone out and did it
1: yeah i think you got to be real a bit with yourself as well um and that's I, i'm kind of big on, on on focusing your energy and sometimes the things that you need to focus your energy on are not the uh they're not the easiest paths to take but uh that's the difference in between you getting where you want to go and you know and and, and not getting there i suppose so i mean it would have been easier for me to say oh i'm training really hard to get to WB, And knowing that I had to put a focus on my promos and just standing in the mirror for, you know, an hour at a time, just overdoing promos and, and, and stuff. And then, you know, also I probably, my body is weird. I have a real weird body type in terms of where I can put on muscle very easy, but I also put on fat. So I had to just stick to this incredibly strict diet for like eight months. But, um, that was kind of, you know, I understood that that was going to be the difference in whether I make it or not, and I didn't want to either look back and say, Do you know what, if I had stuck with that diet, would I have made it? I didn't want to have that. I I can't think of anything worse than looking back and questioning myself. So I was really happy that I gave everything in the lead up to my tryout my absolute best, and. I kind of got there and said that if they, if they don't sign me, it's because they don't need a, you know, a six foot bald guy from Ireland at the moment. That's basically where I was <laughs> going to put it <laughs> um,
0: Before we get into like Doreen and stuff like that, um, with you promoting in like Europe and stuff like that, how how does that even come about? Because I think that myself, like promoting in general is difficult, but then to promote and... Be able to build up a successful because you were very successful um in europe with that that company doing that um outside of your own country and not only your own country but a lot of countries that would have had different dialects as well how does that even come about joe
1: it was crazy um like when you look at people when you look at like uh the death of wcw you can definitely see how stuff like this happens it was it was just incredible to think that we were It was myself and a a friend of mine, Jamie Coleman, that we were promoting all these shows around Europe. And basically what happened was we fell into contact with an entertainment company. And basically this entertainment company, they would create shows and then they would sell them through the European markets to other promoters. And uh, we were able to create a wrestling brand and these promoters were able to go and sell these shows on to local promoters. But uh I just remember as well, like, you know, you'd give artwork for all the guys that were going to be appearing. So on some of those tours we had like Bra Hart, Sabu, Rob Van Damme, who'd just been off T V and when we got to I think it was Switzerland, when we got to Switzerland, they changed the poster completely and put on uh all these action shots and didn't have any of the top guys that were appearing on the show. So Stuff like that as well just, like, falls through through the cracks as well. Our biggest market as well was France, and there was always kind of, like, language barriers. Um, But they're probably some of the fondest memories I have in in wrestling. I mean, these shows were, you know, 5,000 seat capacity venues um, with some pretty big names at the time. Like, even, like, random people were on those tours, like Psycho Sids, Marty Giannetti, Balz Mahoney, Tatanka... Um, you know it was kind of like uh, a who's who over the last you know 10 years of wrestling at that time
0: I think it's crazy though when you speak about France because like when I spoke to people like Doug and stuff like that he was saying there was a good portion where he was like going back and for France maybe once twice a week or whatever and he was making his good money there I think it's crazy that how it's one still one of the places in Europe that seems still hasn't grown that much
1: it's. I'm not bashing French wrestlers. It is getting better, but like for the majority, I think the French wrestling scene, the the wrestlers in France, are not very good. Um, and I, I know that sounds like I'm totally taking a shit on them, but uh, it's they're not like I've. And I suppose it varies in in, in different parts of the country, but um, I think some parts of France as well. They still work to the right, um, and just crazy little things like that. But uh, we always wanted to have. Uh, local French wrestlers on the show we wanted to build up French wrestlers for the market but at the time now I'm talking about 2009 2010 uh, the French wrestlers just seem it just seemed to be behind um, behind in the times um, the French wrestlers as well I don't think there's many great uh, training schools there either but there has been a few wrestlers that have definitely come out of France now that have improved but back in the time of like 2008 2009 the scene there was just terrible
0: I guess it does come from the same as like yourself and like the British scene, where we've now had what maybe twenty years. I uh, we use Doug again as the example. Doug and Jody and Johnny and all them people there. That would have been twenty years, and maybe that generation, apart from three of them, didn't really make it. But though they got a good understanding and grounding. They have turned, of course, open a school up, and then the next generation is a little bit better, and the next generation is a little bit better. I guess it just takes maybe like one group of French wrestlers. To kind of get good and then not get picked up by anywhere stay in that country and then kind of build up the scene over the next 15 years.
1: Yeah. And I think the problem as well with France is just it's such a big country. So it's going to take a lot of really good wrestlers in that country to kind of spread their skill set, you know, and teach. But um it probably is one of the issues as well. That it's such a big country.
0: When you went over to uh, WWE, was, this, uh, was it OVW or was it FCW at the time?
1: Uh, yeah, I started in Tampa. Um, I think it had it already turned into NXT, but it was still from uh, the FCW uh, place in Tampa. Uh, it was kind of like a warehouse where they had three rings set up. Um, so I did some time in Tampa, and then I moved on to the Performance Center in Orlando when it opened up.
0: How did you find that time? How did you find that transition to go from, you know, being in Ireland and kind of working there and, you know, promoting to then going over and becoming a full-time athlete, I guess, in in that sense of the word?
1: And that's what it was. You know, you were genuinely a full-time athlete and you were expected to perform at a full, you know, as a, as a high-level performing athlete as well. Um, it was crazy. I remember walking in and, and and seeing the big banner that he had, and it was a uh, "Remember, you're a WWE superstar." Um, but I've I've said this before as well. I was quite old when I got signed. So I think I was thirty. Um, to be signed to an NXT USA contract uh, at thirty years of age is kind of it's a little old. Uh, most of the guys there that that were there were all very early twenties. Anyone that was in their thirties was people that had been there for a long time, like the Ascension and. Uh, a couple of other guys now that have made it to TV so I kind of knew I had to get out of NXT and onto TV as fast as possible because um, because of my age I was kind of like you know I was an investment that only had so 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 much of a shelf life so uh, I kind of felt that pressure of getting there and trying to get out of NXT as fast as I could to return on my investment because I suppose to W as well I am a big investment you know they've They've brought me all the way from ireland to uh to perform for them, so they wanted to see a return on their investment.
0: How long were you over there,
1: Joe? a little bit over a year um I ended up getting um I ended up getting a concussion, which was a bad concussion, but because, as I was saying there to you, I needed to get out of NXT as quick as I could. I was cleared um I'd cleared all the tests to come back, and then I got a second concussion just on a roll-up. I took a roll-up and my head very, very softly hit the back of the the canvas on a roll-up and uh, I got a second concussion and that was kind of like where it was getting worrying that I got a second concussion, I suppose. Uh, So, so, so easy. Um, So, yeah. um, And that kind of just led to a lot of the downfall, I suppose, there.
0: Um what was the what was the final decision to to leave or like how did that come
1: about um i was unhappy there um i I'd, I'd had as i said two concussions which had probably led to a little bit of depression as well in terms of like you know just as a result of having you know two bad concussions um and i was in tampa and i was supposed to wrestle somebody um and the guy literally pulled out. I'm talking maybe five minutes before the match. Uh he went into the doctor and the doctor said you're not cleared to wrestle. So I was in the opening match uh in a show in the Tampa Arena, which is where their old FCW uh training grounds were. We were we'd go back there once uh once a month to do some shows. And um I remember the national anthem was playing. And they just pointed to, uh, Simon Grimm or Gotch, uh, I think he's called now or, and they said, right, you're up. And he hadn't even got his wrestling gear on. And um, he was sitting there cold, uh, watching the monitor. So I remember, uh, we stood in the tunnel just before the entranceway and Gotch was still tying his laces and the agent was telling us what was going on and what was happening. And, uh, I remember being in the ring and gotch was coming to the ring and he was still like putting on his elbow pads and stuff like that. It was just ridiculous. We had a match. It was cold. It uh, wasn't very good. Uh, we both had issues in the match. And essentially when we went backstage, uh, we kind of got chewed out and I was just like, Do you know what? Fuck this place. So I kind of put my hand out to be slapped and, uh, they knew that I wasn't happy, and they said, you know, if you're not really happy, well, then, you know, maybe you should take some time and go home. And that's what happened, you know. But I, I definitely let them know that I was really unhappy, you know.
0: It's it's such a crazy one because, again, I, I spoke to uh, I'm, I spoke to Matt Seidel the other day, and hearing, like, your stories, because he, again, would have been, uh, you would have been a couple of years after him, and it's hearing, like, I only have the experience that I have with the place now. And it just seems that over the last ten years, it's changed completely. So again, it's still a big eye opener to me when you hear these stories. Because again, people can—I o- can only speak as I find—and a lot of people can only speak as they find. But yeah, again, hearing those stories from yourself, someone I trust and stuff like that, it's just a big, it's a big eye opener.
1: Yeah, it wasn't like I'm not trying to paint it as like this horrible, horrible, horrible place. Because um, it wasn't. There was, there was, you know, there, there was some good times there, but. Like, I'm friends with some people that are still there, and even they tell me, you know, it's, you know, it's changed completely now. I mean, I'm, I was there when Bill DeMott was there and stuff, you know, and, and it was still kind of much of, not that anyone ever fucked with me because I wouldn't tolerate it, but it was still very much a a boys club, you know, um, a little bit back then. I don't think it was as bad, anywhere near as bad as the stories that you hear from, you know, developmental in, in 2012 or whatever, but, um, yeah, I, I I have heard from a lot of people and our trainers as well that are still there. That it's just a completely different world now, and it's changed a lot for the best.
0: Were you uh, were you done with wrestling after that, or had it kind of killed all your kind of love and passion for it?
1: Pretty much, I, I I've said it as well. I mean, WWE obviously have their own style and their own way of wrestling, um, and they want to they want to have you wrestle in that style. Uh, towards the end as well, and I think this was a big part of me. They they had me so confused that sometimes I'd even question whether I was tying my boots properly. Um, everything that you did was wrong, or or, or whatnot, you know. So, um, when I came back, you know, you have a little bit of buzz, and you're 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 able to pick up some bookings and stuff. So, I'd pretty much filled up my calendar when I came back for like the next two months and was kind of like saying I'll do these two months of wrestling and then after that I'll decide what I'm going to do but when once I started back wrestling on the independency and I kind of started to get a second round of uh, passion for it and kind of um, I enjoyed more about kind of giving back so I always said as well like I've I've kind of experienced some uh, amazing things in my life you know being able to wrestle and do something that you have a passion for and travel the world and 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 make some money as well um but that wouldn't have been possible if people didn't help me out and you know help me even just give me some knowledge you know um in terms of like training seminars so uh i found it pretty important as well to try and give back so um i went back and i started kind of training young guys and girls and um kind of just got so much energy from that you know such a good vibe from people who had a passion for wrestling and kind of helping them. So that kind of reignited my passion for for wrestling as well, I suppose.
0: Was that kind of sense of purpose and wanting to kind of push, I guess it would have been an island going to push that Irish scene. Is that where, you know, the idea for OTT came from?
1: Yeah, um, I'd always, the way I looked at Irish wrestling was uh, we have some incredibly talented people here, but there was no, uh, they weren't being showcased properly. And the fans didn't really have a place to gravitate to see great wrestling either. So the idea was, you know, why don't we take all the best guys and girls from all over the country and put them on one show and have it as a place where the top Irish guys and girls can kind of showcase their skills um, and show what they're about. And a place as well where wrestling fans can come and see really good wrestling. That was basically the, uh, the idea behind OTT at the time
0: why why did you venture into over 18s and why was it why was that kind of the focal point for you
1: Um, i think i think more it was basically it was this i think WWE at the time uh, had lost a lot of fans because they had gone so down the pg route and um, that it left a lot of attitude fans kind of just stuck with no product um we wanted to do an over 18 show to say to these fans, this is a show for you. It's not a kid's show. Um, there's not going to be any pantomime wrestling. Um, this is a show for you. If you want to see great wrestling, you're not going to come here and uh, you know, be hiding in your seat because you're embarrassed by what's going on. Uh, this is a place where you can come and watch great wrestling, and it's for you, the over-18s wrestling fans. So that's what the idea was kind of at the start.
0: Where did you run those first shows, where were they actually based?
1: Yeah, uh, the Tivoli Theater, which is kind of—I actually become, was there.
0: I was wondering if it was.
1: Yeah, which has kind of become like kind of a a, a, a place that everyone has fond memories and likes to talk about. But yeah, it was a the Tivoli Theater. That's another big issue that we have in Dublin and Ireland as a, as a full is that we've a serious, serious lack of uh, venues that can house pro wrestling.
0: Oh mate, tra- tell us about it. Where uh, att- that's the problem that Tark has had for years. Luckily, we've got the the Bingo Hall, but. That fits what maybe three hundred, three fifty in it, and then if you're looking to jump up from that three fifty, then it jumps up to something like three, two thousand, three thousand. It's so hard to kind of find that that next jump up to like a seven hundred seater or something.
1: Yeah, and then when you find a you find a really nice venue, and then you realize that the ceiling is too low or something like that. It's um, it's a it's a serious serious issue in Ireland at the moment. I mean, even the Tivoli the Tivoli Theater, they they tore it down. We seem to be just uh, tearing down our, our venues um, and replacing them with car parks and hotels, which is a massive shame.
0: I feel as well, one of the biggest kind of selling points for you guys as a promotion, like you had this over-18s vibe and the wrestling was really good, but it was just the way you presented yourself. And I just feel like, again, seeing those those early promos from you guys, like the Ward family, and even if even if we move it straight up to like modern day and uh, the way the work you do with Sean now, which, again, He's doing some of the best work, I think, not just in independent wrestling but in wrestling in general. He's doing some of the best hype videos I've ever seen. Was that always something you were kind of focal on, like a focal point when it came to like using the internet?
1: Yeah, definitely, and it it kind of stems from my time as well in WWE and kind of, you know, my time in NXT. I, I learned so much. And I was learning as a wrestler, but I was also learning as a promoter. I'd always stand backstage and see, you know, how they were doing it, what they were setting up and, um, you know, even how they lit their their little small uh, NXT Tampa shows. But uh, one of the big things I realized is that wrestling is essentially the, the, the core of wrestling is selling. Um of course, you have selling the moves, but it's also selling, uh, selling who you are as a person and making people invested. And you have this tool called the Internet, and I, I, I don't know why people don't use it more, more, more and more. Um, but yeah, for me, it was like just a, a massive um, massive tool in terms of like getting stories and characters over. Um, so we used it to, to, to the best uh, that we possibly could at the, especially in the early days. And then as you can see, it's kind of moved on to uh, stuff like the, the stuff that guys people see now with Sean Ryan as well.
0: I think that's an interesting way that you talk about people like using internet better, you know, to the best of their abilities. I do think as well, there's a lot of people have fallen into that trap, especially with social media, where it's very easy to kind of, you know, break that fourth wall or kind of say something that's, you know, funny and, you know, not take it seriously because it's easier to get those likes that way rather than kind of, you know, show that you actually care.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, you know like people will always just you know tweet a picture you know uh, you'll get more of a... i found this as well with the wards videos that we used to do um the more effort that we put into them the more time we put into them the the much much bigger the uh the reward was you know so there'd be times where maybe i'd be a little bit too busy and i wouldn't put as much focus on the on the wards videos and you know you got back what you put in uh, there'd be times where we'd schedule an entire day of just shooting and editing and those videos were the ones that got the most response, um, especially now that we're all sitting here in lockdown. Um, besides Rocky Mack and one or two others, there's not many people out there putting out content. And um, We're all just sitting at home, I suppose, at the moment, not doing much. So now's the perfect time.
0: I was saying this to somebody the other day. I feel like, again, pictures or, you know, a funny tweet or something like that there's going to be so many people that when we come back from this are going to be hungry to show what they can do in the ring that I feel like it's going to be the people that have worked on the aspects outside the ring, the character work, the promo work, uh, in the, you know, at uh, home workouts and stuff like that, that's where you're really going to be able to shine. People aren't really thinking of the, of the long game.
1: Yeah. I think, uh, it's important to keep touch with, with the fan base and not kind of fade off. And then when all this does, cause who knows? We might be sitting still in this situation come October, November. But uh, it's a long time to not be, you know, out of, out of sight, out of mind. And um, I think it's best to keep yourself as out there as much as you possibly can without being uh, annoying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very, very true. <laughs> uh, when did you with OTT, when did you realize that you had something? Because like were those first show successes? But I guess if they were, when was it that you realized that it went beyond just a good draw and you actually had something special?
1: Yeah. So like our first show, we didn't go out and put much money into it. Uh, we borrowed a projector and there was a projector screen in the venue. Thank God. Um, I think me and a uh, a friend of mine, I think we put like maybe 400 euros each into the first show. First show drew 140 people at a 10 or a ticket was 1400 euros. So we were able to uh, take back the money we put in and then still have some money for the next show. Um, I think the time, the turning point as to when I knew that we had something was when I was in my feud as Luther Ward with Paul Tracy. And I remember Paul Tracy beat me for the belt. And I just remember watching back the video and seeing everyone's reactions and knowing that they were fully invested in what we were doing. And I knew at this point in time, there's something here. Uh, You know, it's not like you know, Paul Tracy beat Luther Ward and everyone's just like, oh, okay. There was uh you could see the investment on their faces uh when the match finished. So I suppose at that point that's when we knew that we have something here.
0: You say about that, right? As you said it, I like I de- completely forgot about this, but I can remember uh seeing the clip and I think uh maybe Dame, maybe Ryan or Pete or Damien, one of them has showed me it and I remember, kind of, that was the first time I heard that, like, there was something big happening in Ireland. Because I remember watching that clip of of you losing and watching the total investments from the fans.
1: Yeah, which is 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 exactly kind of that's the one thing that I love about OTT is watching some of the big matches through the years that we've had, whether it be the Walter Devlin stuff or you now even the session Matt Martinez stuff. And just seeing the investment when the final bell hits, um, you know that's the payoff for me to see that people are so invested in what you're doing and they love what you're doing, and that's the that's the biggest payback for me, I suppose.
0: I think when you when you say that as well, like okay, like me and me and bono of course, we've like we bought Pro Wrestling Chaos, but there's a there's a reason kind of that place became one of my favorite places, and I kind of put it back to their first big show they did, which was like their. The, I think it was like 800 people there or whatever, and we'd done a feud with with uh, the guy who owned it at the time, Dave Mercy, who was stepping away from wrestling, but we had done a feud with me and him, and the entire feud was him on the back foot, on the back foot. So when we got to the Loser Leaves match, it completely, everyone was convinced that, of course, the hero was going to overcome me, who was the heel at the time, and I remember locking in that guillotine and his hand falling for the third time, and the referee ringing the bell. And I remember 800 people were just dead silent. There was yes. silence. And I remember just get, pulling myself up. And I start like going. Like screaming my head off. at of The fact I've like, like won. And then you could hear the slow roars of boos. Starting coming from the crowd. <laughs> and I remember walking backstage. And then of course he gets a stand ovation as he leaves. But I remember thinking as I went back at that moment. This place is special. I have wrestled. At that point I would have wrestled. At uh, progress and stuff like that but i remember that was the first time that i felt that i'd created something myself with somebody else and we'd had we'd had them hook line and sinker
1: yeah it's such an amazing feeling as well and then you have people as well um like sean ryan that are able to even drag more people in to be invested with with the hype videos as well that we're able to do and jeff doyle who's kind of like taken over as well and some of our media as well it's been pretty amazing pretty pretty look, lucky and and blessed that we're able to draw so many talented people I suppose to us to help us tell the story
0: when you talk about kind of like using the word draw and we talk about bigger shows um when did you decide okay we're going to try to do the national stadium and, and at the time financially was that a huge risk
1: um I remember uh I remember having the option of having Kenny Omega and the books, um, and thinking, like, well, this is definitely something that's going to draw more than 500 people. Um, I wonder, could I do the National Stadium? And it's funny, I remember talking to many people on the roster, uh, people that I'd asked for advice and, and 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 get feedback from, and we all thought that the best-case scenario would be, um, the best-case scenario would probably be that we'd draw 900 to 1,200. It seemed to be the kind of consensus amongst amongst everybody. And then even me, I kind of undersold myself. I was like, look, I'd, I'd like to see the place fall. So I put the tickets Um they weren't incredibly expensive. I think like the floor was maybe 30 and maybe the, the stalls was 15. So it wasn't wasn't too expensive. And I remember I put the tickets on sale. We made the big announcement, which was really uh, well received. Um, we put the tickets on, and then I remember refreshing my phone about an hour into when they were on sale, and we'd already done like 1,400 tickets in the, that that one day. And I was like, this is just amazing. Then it went on to sell out 2,000 people for an Irish wrestling product. It was uh, quite amazing, quite an achievement.
0: And again, uh, apart from using those guys' as drawers, it'd been you and others kind of believing in that Irish wrestling scene and knowing that... Like, even though you're using these guys to kind of try to get people in the door, they weren't coming for Young Bucks and Kenny Omega. They were coming for the product you'd created.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, everyone as well. My my thing about building a wrestling show is that to have a story and interest in as many matches as you possibly can. And I kind of watched some of that show back. um, And essentially to avoid having cold matches where it's just like, you know, this guy against this guy because it's gonna be a good match. I like to try and add a story to it, all the matches if i can um, but when I watched back that show, like everybody was even everybody was invested uh you know in session Martin and our own guys as well, which was uh which was just another reward in itself as well to see that our local Irish people as well um had been embraced, which was just pretty amazing
0: is that again kind of why like the contenders? came about was it the fact that okay we've got these people now that are fantastic and they're potentially going to go off again jordan's going off and doing some great stuff at the moment session off as well is going off and doing some great stuff and everyone seems to you know go getting bigger and better and becoming more unavailable was it about kind of planting those seeds and getting everyone ready for when everyone starts to move on
1: no i i think the main reason behind contenders was basically is that our biggest issue in Ireland is that our guys are not getting ring time. Um, like, if you're, if you're in the UK, you know, you guys can, can travel the entire length of the UK to do shows, um, whereas our, our guys, you know, they're going to have to fly themselves over to the UK or, or whatnot. So it's a big issue in terms of, like, we have a lot of talented guys here, but they're not getting in front. And you know yourself, you're only ever going to get better when you're out there and you are working in front of a crowd and you get to see what works and what doesn't work and watch it back on tape and see how people reacted and stuff. Um, So the Contender brand was basically to get um, people who probably aren't ready for the main shows, but to get them a run and to um, allow them as well to kind of interact with people that would be able to guide them, more experienced wrestlers as well.
0: I think that's so important when you were saying they weren't ready for the main show, because I think again, with bigger promotions sometimes they'll have schools that's such a big downfall, that they have this school, and then maybe the first opportunity they get, or maybe the first opportunity they get in the first 10, 20 matches, whatever, big one, is thrusted in front of 700 people, or whatever, that's, that can be such a detriment and such a knock for a new wrestler coming in.
1: Yeah, as well, I mean I suppose as well to your brand uh, you know, if if, if if there's guys on your shows, if you've built up a a really uh, solid wrestling company and then you kind of like letting guys on that are not fully there um you know to the casual fan it mightn't mightn't be the best so I suppose it's just like going to a comedy night and five comics and treat them being really bad not too good, you kind of leave with like kind of like eh, maybe I'll go back again and um, so it was kind of as well kind of protecting the big shows um in terms of like making sure that when as well, it's a, it's about, as well, giving people the ball. So knowing that they're at a certain level and saying, I'm going to give you this storyline, I'm going to give you this storyline with, with this wrestler and knowing that they're ready for it. Whereas on a contender show, you're, you're kind of starting to look and learn to see what their strong points and what their weak points are before you can give them a, a, a solid storyline, I suppose.
0: Um, one thing we do want to chat about as well um is again we are chatting at the moment uh, not face to face i would have loved to have done a face to face one with you but again we can't and that's uh due to the virus and you were one of the first big promotions to uh pull the plug on a show and not even just a, a small show scrapmania one of your, your bigger show of the year and you did that before like you were made to so how did that decision come about and how difficult was that decision or how long did it take you to come to the realization that was what you were going to have to do?
1: Um, I think looking back on it, you know, at the very start of this, there was so much unknown about the virus itself. Um, everyone was kind of like, I remember the week before the show, which would have been probably around the, the eight, ninth or 10th of March, uh, talking to people that I was close with in the industry saying that there is a chance you might have to pull this show. And, uh, the show is supposed to be March 15th uh, Saturday uh, I think I remember finishing a phone call on the Wednesday and being 90% sure that we were going to have to pull the show it's it's a responsibility of knowing that like you have some people on your crew that have um you know ha- have health issues and and um thinking of them um some of my own family as well have health issues that they wanted to be there as well so you know along with the the fans that you don't know kind of what what health ailments they have either um you know as more information was breaking um i think the friday morning we just we just came to the realization that there's absolutely no way we can do this show um and we, we you know, like everyone, we did we a lot riding on it. you know, we'd a lot of hotels booked, we had all the, the flights booked, um a lot of advertising paid for, uh, merchandise paid for, so uh yeah, it, it was a massive knock to us, but as well to kind of see it helped me realize just how much OTT means to everybody, because I think once that happened to us, I think a lot of people assumed, well, this is the the nail that's going to end OTT. They're never going to come back from this, but, um, with all the help that we received and the response, uh, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind that we will 100% be back when this is, when this is over.
0: Was like, I'll I'll get into the support from the fans in a second, but like, was that right? Like how much you had riding on it? Would it potentially have been a blow that you couldn't have come back from?
1: Um, yes, I would say so because, uh, you know, we 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 just had. You know, with a stadium show, there's just there's so much. It's it's. You know, when you're going from a 500 seat venue to a 2,000 seat venue, there's so much involved. Like you know, insurance, uh, production, flights. You need more. Um, you know, hotels, accommodation, all um, advertising and printing, and all, and all that was essentially uh, was essentially lost. Um, so it would have been pretty hard for us to come back if we didn't have the support, I suppose, because every stadium show that you do, you're investing just a a ton of resources into to making it happen, really.
0: How did that feel then when you kind of like, you pulled the plug, you thought to yourself, okay, we're, we're potentially, we're done here. And then you kind of see these fans come together fans that you'd created through something you'd been passionate about. And they're showing that they're just as passionate back again, kind of coming back to that Paul Tracy defeating Lufa Ward moments, kind of it coming full circle and then kind of coming to save you guys.
1: I remember like, uh, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, just ringing everybody, you know, getting advice from people. What do you think? Because as I said, you know, you have to remember not a lot of people, there wasn't a lot of information known about this virus at that time um but I remember once I did it and we put out the statements just having this even though I knew I'd lost so much but just having this sense of felt like the the weight of the world had been lifted off my shoulders because in on one hand you're thinking OTT Michael day here and then in the other hand you're thinking people may you know, have serious health issues if this virus is as deadly as 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 it seems to be. So I had like kind of just a once once it was out there that we were pulling the show, just this huge weight uh, kind of lifted off my shoulders, knowing that now I can start focus on my energy on what's coming next. But then to kind of see everyone just reach out, they made a GoFundMe which got well over 8000 euros. Uh we had a massive um massive increase in, in in merch. We sold a ton of merchandise and um you know that is how I 100% know that when this is over and everything is safe to return that we will be 100% one of the first uh forms of entertainment in Ireland to return. Um we're just wait ready ready for the uh the green light and we're just going to start going out and bopping shows again as a, as a massive thank you to everyone who support us. But I suppose as well, just seeing, um, just reading emails from people and, um, messages from people as to how much OTT means to them. Um, it's kind of like their, their escape, you know, from just your, your normal day to day and they don't want it to, to disappear. So, um, they've decided to come out and support it. Um, which has just been amazing. Um, completely overwhelmed, I suppose.
0: You talk about getting ready to go out there and just absolutely smash it. Uh, you do have a proposed date, hopeful for uh, for Scrapmania, is that right?
1: Um, we we have shows set for August. Um, is there is there kind of our first dates that we're looking at? Um, again, we're all in the waiting game. Probably make a decision on that in the next couple of weeks as to if those shows are viable enough or or not um and then we have a show for um our sixth year anniversary is october 31st so uh we are just going to wait and see as to if though if, if if that's possible i suppose but um that's the game for now at the, at the at the moment um we are hoping to i'd say we might run one or two smaller shows if uh if things get if things are able to come back earlier but uh October is our main show for uh, Dublin and then we're looking at August as well for kind of shows around Ireland.
0: Well, yeah, I I really, again, it's so hard to tell what's going to happen in the next week, let alone months. So I guess it just comes down to what's what's next. And again, using that, I know that you can't really say beyond those shows. But as for like OTT as as a whole and kind of seeing the demand that you've created, not just in Ireland, but, You know, across the world, what was what was next for OTT? Was there, you know, any plans to tour or anything bigger on the horizon that you had planned before all this kicked in?
1: Um, I think as well, like the biggest I've said this before the biggest thing for me for Scrapper Mania, uh, losing Scrapper Mania, uh, was kind of the history that we would have created. I think the Davis Star. Uh, moxley match would have just been something that people would have looked back on for years. Um, so losing that kind of history kind of was um, a bit of a a bit of a downer for me personally. But um, yeah, for for in terms of like the future, it's just about kind of expanding. We'd love to go and do a you know a WrestleMania um, weekend at some point. You know, we've always got loads of Irish fans to go and see WrestleMania. Uh, We're in talks of doing some kind of joint shows in the UK as well. So, um, just you know, to continue on working with our editors, our video editors, uh, producing content that people can genuinely get deeply invested in, and then having the payoff, and making sure that the payoff, um, the payoff is is as good as we can possibly make it. Um, and that's kind of just the plan, is just keep keep expanding and as I said, keep putting out content that makes people invested.
0: Joe, how are you should I, to wrap these up then? And I guess this is a two-part question because you have covered both bases. But uh what like, first of all we'll do this one. What advice would you give your former self? So if you could go if you could time travel back now and give yourself advice, what would that advice be?
1: Uh I suppose the greatest advice that I have now that I would have given myself would be to learn to focus your energy um, and be real with yourself um you only have so much energy, whether it's emotional physical mental and it's it's very important that you learn um that you learn to use it for 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 good and not wasted on things that you can't control um or things that are beyond your realm so Learning to focus all points of energy, I suppose, would be the best advice that I can give. I remember like, you know, like just for instance, like if you're sitting in traffic and someone starts beeping you uh, and you get upset because you're being beeped, well, then essentially you're giving your energy away to that person. That's their problem. They're beeping because they have a problem and you've decided to react and make it your problem. Uh, so stuff like that is just learning as to as to where to focus your energy Um that guy has a problem. He's beeping his horn. It's not my problem that I'm aware of, and um, so I'm not going to get involved in it. I'm not going to give away my energy. Uh, I was a dormant as well for like you know ten years, and I kind of look back on some times of as to how much I just wasted my my energy in a lot of situations. So guard your energy, I suppose, is probably the best thing, and and use it for better. Whether it be you know your energy to create content, your energy to get better focus in the gym use your energy to um to create i think there's a big problem as well as to where people are consuming more than they're, they're creating um, and i think that's a big issue if you're consuming 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 well then you're just getting flooded with other people's stuff as opposed to creating your own so i think that's important as well
0: i think that's i think that's a very i think that's perfect to be honest um i found that when I'm kind of, I've had days where I'm on social media, and again, that happens a lot at the moment, and we're kind of consuming, 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 it's so hard to come up with an original idea, something that hasn't been done before, something that hasn't been, you haven't been influenced. And again, that comes down to we're surrounded by wrestling. So it's, I find it, if I have a week where I'm not on social media, maybe I'm watching films, and you can draw inspiration from other stuff, but I feel like if you're continuously consuming that wrestler social media then it just kind of dilutes any real creative ideas that you're going to have.
1: Yeah, And it goes back as well. Like when you're on your Twitter feed, especially Twitter and you're looking at your feeds and then you're getting upset about what, what this wrestler wrote or this fan wrote, and then you're losing your energy to that, you know? So, uh, you can't control it. That's somebody else's thoughts. That's somebody else's perceptions. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, scrolling up and down Twitter feeds is probably, probably the worst thing you can probably do sometimes.
0: Uh, Joe, uh, where can they find you on the internet or what do you want to plug? Because again, I know that you are on social media, but you might want to just plug OTT and Ted. So where can people find you or OTT on the internet?
1: Uh, I don't even have my handles off hand, but uh, yeah, if you search OTT amongst all the platforms, Facebook, um, Twitter, Instagram, I'm sure you'll find us. And then I'm Joe Cabray uh, on Twitter, I think. So yeah, search me. I don't post m- m- much. Uh, from my personal page but um yeah give give a follow if you want
0: Uh, joe it's been absolute crack at sit down with you mate and again um again i think we we haven't we haven't really spoke properly in a few years and I, i remember when we did chat in ireland uh how creative you were and kind of your thoughts and your feelings on the scene and again i it's it's good to see that uh even though that you probably inundated with more and more and probably more stressed out than ever because of ott that that love and that passion hasn't gone away
1: no I have as I said like you know uh, if ever I kind of feel myself being and I'm sure you do this yourself as well uh, you kind of get pissed off about your situation and then you realize your situation is actually not th- too bad you know Um, you're a full time wrestler I'm a full time wrestling promoter and we're essentially um, you know if they're air uh, problems sometimes even though they're problems they're probably not as big as we think we're very uh We're in very privileged positions, I suppose, and I'm very blessed as well to wake up. And, uh, you know, my life decisions are based around something that I have a passion for, which is professional wrestling.
0: Joe, it's been absolutely fantastic, mate. I appreciate you uh, sitting down and chatting with
1: me. Awesome. Take care, man.
0: Thanks, mate. How good was that? what I tell you? Just the way that he approaches wrestling, the way that he kind of looks at it, and his positive mindset. And like, it's it, the way he just looks at, okay, how do I get from A to B? How do I, how are other people doing it? What's the the fastest route? And then he goes, okay, that's the route they're taking. Now, how can I take that route while being completely different to anything else anyone's offering? And he's done that with OTT. He did that with his. With his um, journey to WWE. He did that with his promoting within Europe. He did that with his first steps into wrestling. Didn't even want to be a wrestler, just wanted to be a promoter and to kind of said to himself, hey, look what everyone else is doing, look what's happening. I think I'll get into this and everything else in between. If you haven't seen, if you're new to this and you're maybe you've come here because you're a fan of me from somewhere else and you haven't seen any OTT stuff, just go into their YouTube channel. Just go check out some of the promotional package they put together. The Jordan Devlin and Walter one is absolutely insa- insane. Sean Ryan who works for them is now working for NXT UK. And rightly so because he's doing some great stuff. And the reason he's now working with us is because of the chance that uh, Joe Gabray gave him. And the fact that you know him and Joe would bounce ideas off each other. It's that This podcast was great. I felt like I came out of this conversation with Joe feeling geared up and ready to wrestle. Unfortunately, of course, we are still in lockdown. So I feel like that won't happen for a while yet, which is really upsetting to think about. But I do think that this is a podcast I'm going to come back to and I'm going to listen to and I'm really going to use going forward. And I think anyone who's a promoter, anyone who's a wrestler at the moment, I think this is very important for wrestlers, anyone who's a wrestler at the moment and they are looking to be different, then I think they need to check out this podcast. And I think I'm going to use an extract from that as my preview on some of the social media platforms. So, yeah. Uh, All I've got to say, big thanks to Joe Bray coming on the show, and uh, hopefully we can uh, get you on again after everything's all sorted out and OTT are back to to their high standards of producing professional wrestling. Of course if you have enjoyed this week's podcast please be sure to rate subscribe review as i said at the start of the podcast i am of course running a competition this month anyone who leaves me a review on iTunes rate subscribe review on iTunes uh put your twitter handle or your email address or whatever on there and you'll be in you'll be uh entered is the word you'll be entered into a prize draw for some goodies i'll let you go through my big wardrobe and find stuff in the box at the bottom stuff i haven't sold stuff i've been hanging on all this other stuff and i'll send it to you and uh, it'd be cool, maybe something for you to open, doing uh, lockdown, cheer up a little bit. But yeah, just my little way of saying thank you for supporting the podcast. Uh, if you're not on uh, anything else, uh, I don't know how lot of the stuff up. If you know if you're on Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, what Anchor, any of those other stuff, Podbean, I don't know all of it, but they have a rate subscribe option. Of course, I do not check them out, but I really would appreciate it if you uh, you push up and you know put, give me a five star rating or you'll give me a nice review, and because that really does help. Um, but the biggest way, of course, as I said, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to, uh, you know, let people on the social media know, share your love and enjoyment of this, at uh, Flash underscore Morgan on the Twitter, um, Facebook.com forward slash Flash on the Facebook. I am at Flash Morgan Webster on the Instagram. I said at the start of the podcast, I'll say it again, I do love seeing those Instagram stories. I do love uh, seeing that everyone's listening to it or when they're on their daily walks or they're working out and it's a nice companionship. So I really enjoy that. Uh, or if you want to send me a little discreet email um i'm doing a lot of podcasts at the moment if people want me on their podcast or whatever drop me an email flash at live.co.uk i'm just having fun chatting to people uh, i feel like even if you're a smaller podcast if i'm able to do it i learn from you uh from the way that you're doing stuff uh hopefully then you can learn from me and we can all learn together we can have some great podcasts on the go but yeah flash at live.co.uk is the best way to contact me for that I think that sums it all up. I think it does. Um, I'm making these intros and outros a little bit shorter. I don't know. I kind of go through phases. I know a couple of weeks ago I was like, hey, I'm going to use this to vent and talk about all my stuff and kind of do this and do that. And then I listened to some podcasts the other day and the intros and outros are a little bit shorter. And I thought to myself, maybe mine should be a little bit shorter. So I'm going to try some shorter ones. So, uh, yeah, I guess. All I have to say is a big thanks to Joe Cabray for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, big thanks to you lot for listening. I know that you're, at the moment your time is precious because we've got so much time. It's not as if people are using these for commutes to work and they're killing time. We have more time than ever before. A lot of people are starting projects. A lot of people are uh, really focusing on stuff they really love. So if you're using this as a platform or something to get you through stuff or using it just to kind of brighten your day, then I really appreciate your time. So yeah, all I have to say is uh, big thanks for you guys listening. And it's always a pleasure, always a treasure. And bye. Thanks for stopping by. Later people, stay safe.